0: good morning and welcome to the whole body podcast this morning we are really really lucky to have in our midst carrie reedy carrie is a university trained nutritionist she's based in perth and her experience stretches far and wide um carrie herself has trodden a health journey herself so she's very Hmm. passionate about what you might be going through and how she can help you um Today we'll chat mostly about lipoedema and gain Carrie's insight into this poorly recognised yet very debilitating disorder. So over to you, Carrie, please tell us about what you do, where you are, what your day looks like, and we'll get into some chatting.
1: Fantastic. First of all, thank you for for having me for this conversation. And I get to talk about a topic that I'm really passionate about sharing with the broader community. So I really appreciate the opportunity today. So like you said, I'm a nutritionist. I see clients um, on a daily basis, but I also do work for an organization in the US, which is all around supporting ladies with lipoedema. So my day looks very varied, which is uh, a fun way to be. Mm -hmm.
0: Good. And you're based in Perth? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and do you work from your home or have you got a clinic or?
1: Yeah, so I work from a home office in Canningvale. That's, you know, for me, that gives me some flexibility. I have six kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you never quite know what's going to come on any given day. So I guess it gives me that little bit more flexibility to uh, maybe go to sports days and other things that you need to do as a parent.
0: Mm-mm, you're not actually very far from me because I'm just up the hill in Bedforddale. Oh, Okay. 20 minutes away. So we're very close to each other. So let's talk about lipoedema today. Am I saying that properly, lipoedema?
1: I think it depends on where in the world you come from. So in the US, they refer to it as lipoedema, but here in Australia, we call it lipoedema, lipoedema. Uh And again, I think it's tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Oh. <laughs> I think it really, you know, it's just semantics. but. Uh, either way what it is it's it's a condition where we can end up with diseased fat tissue and many of the ladies that have this condition and it is predominantly a female condition have been told all their life you're just overweight you need to lose some weight potentially they're told to uh, go eat less and exercise more and that that will solve the problem but we know that in this particular patient cohort that that isn't really a solution which is one of the reasons that I've become involved with this organisation because I have a, I guess, a, a predisposition towards thinking we need to lower the carbs that we eat in our everyday uh, Australian lifestyle. And so that kind of fits very closely with the way that we uh, actually help support ladies with lipoedema. But let me tell you a little bit more about the conditions. So it affects um, current research suggests um, 10 to 11% of the female population have Uh, Lipedema to various different degrees there are many different stages of this condition but predominantly what happens is women end up with disproportionate um, fat distribution so predominantly in their um, you know in their their buttocks in their thighs in their legs Uh, the torso tends to be spared certainly in the early stages so women end up with that real hourglass shape where tiny little waist but you know much broader hips and and thighs it can also uh, develop in the arms um I don't know whether you refer to it as like tuck shop arms (laughs) so I guess my kids have called it that with me and they're like oh you've got those tuck shop arms but what that means is you know just that that skin becomes much looser and more uncomfortable on our arms and the other defining feature of this in addition to the disproportionate um, that distribution is that fat is very painful. Uh, so, you know, for most of us, if we get bumped or, or knocked, we're like, oh, you know, and off we go. But, you know, for a lady with lipedema, if I even say something like a cat jumps on their lap, which, you know, you wouldn't expect to really hurt, but it's going to be painful for them because of the way that the the fat tissue is diseased. It's more prone to inflammation, it reacts in different ways, potentially some nerves may be impacted as well. And that causes a lot of pain and discomfort. And so in the early stages, it really just looks like, you know, this person sort of got a different body shape, but it can progress. Um, by the time we would call it a stage three or stage four condition, it can significantly impact mobility. And that's where it, you know, it concerns me the most because, you know, no one wants to be in a wheelchair before they need to be. And that's potentially what somebody with really significant lipedema is going to experience because all of that excess weight puts pressure on the joints. It, you know, everything becomes more uncomfortable. Potentially, as it progresses, we can end up with um to try and be a nice way around it. Remember when we used to talk about that, that um, the TV ad, the Michelin tire man, there was, you know, like sort of had all of these, these roles, you know, we can end up with a similar thing because the body can only cope so far before it um, ends up with that connective tissue being quite um, damaged and it can end up, you get pockets of it. And this again, impacts mobility, um, which is, you know, really tough. It's really tough when it's a condition that's not well-recognized. And for many, many ladies, they'll they'll go to their doctor and say, you know, there's something going on here. It just doesn't seem quite right. But because it's a relatively new condition, many doctors aren't even aware of it or aren't able to diagnose it.
0: Mm, I understand. So what is the difference between fat cells and lipoedema? What's the difference between those?
1: Yeah, so all of us have fat cells. (laughs) As much as we like to think we don't, we need a certain amount of those fat cells for healthy um, function. Our bodies store things away in in those fat cells. We need them. Uh, When they become inflamed, irritated, uh, you then end up with all sorts of immune chemicals coming in. I, I referred to it when I spoke to someone earlier today as being like a, a a frat party gone bad you know it's like um it's like this party of all of these immune modulating you know we've got you know cytokines and other sorts of things in there and they create all of this collateral damage and then we end up with scar tissue in and around those fat cells and ultimately part of the problem is as we end up with more scar tissue in and amongst that fats, those fat cells, our fat cells become hypoxic. Uh, Mm -hmm. They can't function adequately. They also ultimately impair the lymphatics because they're pushing and, and and growing and expanding into places where they shouldn't. And then women can end up with not just lipidema, but lymphedema as well. Uh
0: -uh. So they're kind of in the way of the body functioning properly. Yes. All right. Sounds terrible. So what, are there stages of lipidema or lipodema? Is there stages?
1: Yes. So it's stage one through to four. So stage one, I, I guess you're not going to have a whole load of physical signs to that other than you have a disproportionate shape. Uh, you know, these are the the, the people that come to me and sort of say, right from puberty, I've just been, you know, I have I've been a big girl. And, you know, it's particularly right. around um the, the bottom half. Um, not a lot of cellulite at that stage but as we move sort of through further stages you're more likely to see we call it like a mattress type appearance to the skin because these fat cells are becoming deranged that um, we end up with looks like cellulite but it's kind of more like just puckered skin I suppose if you like at that point we're more likely to see things like an ankle cuff or a wrist cuff Uh, what that means is that uh, we we will end up with growth of lipedema down to our ankles but our feet are typically spared and so we end up with a bit of a like a I guess a bulge with a bit of a line around our ankles
0: not when my grandbabies were little and tiny and they're all yes. nice and round and fat I used to call it the lackey band wrist because they looked like they had a lackey band all the ways always around their wrists right?
1: absolutely and 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 it's the same kind of phenomenon that that women will end up with With these tiny little feet, but more um, of this um, damaged fat tissue um, up and you know up until that point. So that's another sort of sign. Typically, the pain is more pronounced as we move through the stages. By the time it's stage three and stage four, uh, we can end up with a lot more significant issues. We end up with like fat pads either around our knees, under our knees. That very much that saddlebag kind of look to the hips like dis- very much disproportionate to the rest of the body. Um, as we move up in stages too, um, it tends to be a bit of a progressive type thing. So sometimes women will just have it in their legs initially, but over time they'll end up within other places. And the interesting thing is, uh, whilst we talk about it being predominantly in the legs, there is research more recently to say that as we progress through the stages, we're more likely to end up with it around our abdomen as well. And that makes it even more confusing because the diagnosis then, you know, looks to the outside uh, person like, oh, this person is just extremely overweight. Whereas, you know, these people probably have dieted most of their lives, have been trying to do everything they possibly could, right, potentially from puberty to change what's going on with their body. But if someone else goes on a diet and loses 10 kilos, this person's probably going to do the diet 120%. Uh, and maybe lose a kilo if they're lucky and it's that's incredibly discouraging as you could imagine.
0: I could imagine yeah, gosh. what can you do if you've had this condition? What's the best way to look after yourself So if you've got I don't know diagnosed with stage one, what can you do as an early intervention? do you so-
1: think- in terms of the early stages, I, I see diet and nutrition as playing a key role. We know that there's an inflammatory component to this and a potentially some challenges with detoxifying, which is adding to that inflammatory burden. So anytime we can move away from our Western way of doing things to eating more of a, you know, low inflammation. Uh, potentially moving to a whole food, real food type way of eating, then we're going to be supporting our body the best we possibly can. Uh, As we move through the stages, things like wearing compression garments becomes really important to maintain the integrity of the lymphatic system so that it's functioning. One of the things that we, we suspect is happening in this condition is that we have leaky capillaries. So that means that the blood, all of the blood vessels are more leaky. So they, if you like, if you think about that in terms of they're oozing more of these protein-rich um, fluid out in and amongst these cells, which normally then would get carried back from the lymphatics and get processed and dealt with. But potentially it's oozing out more and taking less back. So we end up with more of this protein-rich fluid in and around the cells, which again is contributing to the growth of those cells and causing all of the um, secondary issues. Um, So by keeping sort of the lymphatics, um, keeping the integrity of the lymphatics, that can really help slow down progression. Women use um, things like a vibration plate or a rebounder to help support the lymphatics. Exercising in water is particularly good because it's just another form of compression. And When you're carrying excess weight, exercising on land is incredibly difficult, whereas exercising in water where you're supported uh, makes a huge difference. So depending on the stage, I guess, depends on the the amount of intervention you need. Uh, If you're a stage four, it would be probably a more, uh, we would need to be a little bit more um, sort of strict in the way that we would intervene, maybe more than a, a stage one. I think the other really important thing about this condition in particular is the earlier it's recognised, the more that we can keep it stable so we don't have progression. Many, many women, because this is a relatively new uh, label to put on this condition, I suppose, aren't getting diagnosed till sort of post-menopause, you know, 50s, 60s. So they've probably had a long period of growth. We believe that there's a hormonal component to this because it tends to manifest mostly in puberty, Uh, pregnancy and at menopause so they're the key times that people see growth but if we can if we can help people recognize it earlier and intervene potentially the interventions don't need to be quite as harsh (laughs) and um, we can slow the progression down so that you don't end up with the mobility issues at the you know in that second half of your life.
0: Does it does um are there any links to blood pressure problems and insulin resistance with this um uh,
1: so interestingly, uh, in the early stages of lipedema, we would sort of expect to see some blood sugar dysregulation, but we don't tend to see diabetes as being common in this population at all. And there's some speculation that it's actually, in many ways, uh, our body's natural way of protecting us from diabetes, because we're not putting that weight on around the middle, we're putting it on in the in the extremities. But now that I'm testing people for insulin resistance, I am seeing that they're just not ending up with the same kind of manifestation of it. Uh, they're ending up with um, more of this lipidema growth. Again, probably a very similar driver, but it's just their genetics and the way that their body deals with this.
0: It's um, showing in a different light, a different way. different. Mm, yeah. Gosh, so you've, you've touched on the idea that diet can help. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the real food. Hum- I call it the the proper human diet, which for me yes. <laughs> is staying away from anything with a label if you can, like a food, a barcode. Barcode, so, yes. <laughs> um, trying to encourage some good protein and some clean protein and some healthy fats. You've mentioned that exercise does help. So um, does massage help? do you think
1: massage? manual lymphatic drainage and that's a particular type of massage is also very helpful because of the way that it supports the lymphatic system um does it actually break up any of the fibrosis no because manual lymphatic drainage is a very light it's almost like a feather touch type massage Uh, but anytime we can help stimulate that lymph to be moving around has some positive benefits as well so there's lots of different things that women with this condition can do and it really depends on where the right intervention is at the right time. But as a nutritionist, I feel like my piece is to to come to this and say how do we lower the general level of inflammation in someone's body? And, I mean, you would know as well as I do that our Western diet is so highly inflammatory. It's got so many crazy things, so many crazy ingredients that you know, when I talk to people, I, I talk about the same sort of thing as you do. How do we just come back to eating? Where's your protein on your plate? What are you going to eat plants with it? What plants are you going to put with it? Where's healthy fat moving away from those sort of industrial seed oils that are highly inflammatory and and moving away from all of the preservatives and things that are in the food. But it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for anyone to to change their diet from what's, I guess, the culturally accepted norm these days.
0: What about I'm just um, going back to my dermal therapy days and my life as a dermal therapist. What about things like liposuction? Are they of any use?
1: So liposuction is uh, something that is commonly used um, in this condition, but there's no Medicare funding or anything. So you know you're potentially looking anywhere from thirty to sixty thousand plus dollars. Many women with this condition, if they need liposuction, are looking at multiple different Uh, it's not just going to be all in one go because they can only take out so much um, fat tissue at a time there's also concerns about if if it's not done well how much does that impact the lymphatic system which then you know is a secondary issue so it it wouldn't just be seeing any person that could do liposuction it would be seeing somebody that is very familiar with this condition that knows the best ways to spare that lymphatic um, compromise that could come with that and then you've got to have a pretty good big checkbook unfortunately these days to to have access to that which is you know something that we're all in our community very much on our little hobby horse saying you know we need this to be recognized so that women can get the support because you know down the track when it impacts your mobility it actually it's huge and the earlier you can intervene you know, that you know, you're potentially adding 20 years to before you're going to need some of those mobility aids.
0: Mm-mm. Because when you watch the um shows, you know, they have the makeover shows and people go off and have their liposuction, it's pretty brutal. Like when you watch <laughs> it's pretty brutal, what they do. I don't know if you watch those shows, but I. I gravitate towards them sometimes.
1: Oh, I've certainly seen pictures of ladies that have shown me, you know, two days post my surgery or post my liposuction, they look black and blue. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's pretty pretty terrible. So have you had any good response with diet for women kind of halting the progression or reversing the progression in your experience?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think the degree to which someone can... um. I guess I would say, first of all, we, the, the, to me, the first goal is to halt progression. Mm-hmm. And certainly dietary interventions do that for lots of people. Um, how much can we reverse it? I think that depends on how long that scar tissue has been there. Yeah. If somebody's uh, say, only recently diagnosed, only recently started to see um, this kind of picture in terms of the, the distribution of their fat, then uh, we're probably going to have more luck in terms of reversing some of that scar tissue. But if someone came to me in their 60s or 70s and they'd had 50 years of this, whenever we intervene and and one of the the key interventions is a ketogenic diet, uh, it makes a huge difference just because of the way that it changes the biochemistry, the ketones are naturally anti-inflammatory, so they have some positive benefits. Uh, We tend to, of course, lose fat in the non-lipoedema areas first and i think it's like the body goes to the area of least resistance uh yeah. whereas it's much much harder for it to to break down that sort of fibrotic scar tissue that's not to say it can't happen but i think the longer it's been there the more challenging that's going to become
0: uh, the body does amazing things doesn't it mm. when you it properly when you look after it it does when you get enough sleep and enough rest and enough nutrients it, it's it certainly pays you back so You have mentioned to me that you work for a company in the US. Is there a country in the world that's leading the research on?
1: So in terms of things like liposuction and those sorts of interventions, certainly this has been talked about in Germany for a lot longer than anywhere else. Uh, There is a... There's an organisation in Israel that's looking at some sort of injection into the skin to try and resolve some of this inflammatory uh, process that's going on. Uh, The organisation I work for in the US was um, created by a lady by the name of Catherine Sayo. She created a documentary going back probably about ten years ago called "The Disease We Call Fat," and. Um. Uh, she went around the world interviewing people and learning about this condition. And she's really been, I guess, you know, in many ways a pioneer in bringing this back into people's understanding. It was actually originally written about in the medical research in the 40s uh, oh. at the Mary Clinic, and that's where it was named. Um, but it sort of sat in the, the medical journals and never really made its way anywhere yeah, else for yes. a long, long
0: time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. yeah. Gosh, that's frightening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah things that were written about back then that seem to have been shoved under the carpet and are now beginning to be um, mm. part, of, part of our conversations so what else do you um specialize in is it pretty much just this condition or do you have other favorite things <laughs> uh, um i i
1: am really passionate and i suppose as a nutritionist we always you know like to think that we can help support anyone mm. um But I I have a real passion for helping support ladies with lipoedema. I see this in my family tree. And so, you know, I'm really mindful of the way I I think about my my great-grandmother. And and she was one of these ladies. She was a little lady, but she had, you know, in my mind as a child, she, she just had these ginormous legs, but tiny, tiny little feet, tiny feet. Like she, I couldn't work out how her feet were so small when her legs were so big. And I saw, you know, as a child, just how her mobility was affected. And she would sit in her chair all day. She really couldn't get up. Everything hurt to move, and that then created a vicious cycle. And and I guess you have some of these thoughts back from when you're a child, like, oh gee, I hope I hope I never end up with a situation like this. But I've I've certainly seen it in other family members that it's it's you know it, it, there's obviously a genetic component to it because. Um, I can see there's some progression in some of them. And so I'm really passionate about being at the forefront of understanding this condition. Uh, The sorts of people that uh, would diagnose a condition like this are people like physiotherapists or occupational therapists, particularly ones that work with people with lymphatic disorders. Um, They're the ones that are going to be able to discern, is this a lymphatic condition? Is it lipoedema? They're the ones that would help. Uh, measure up for things like compression garments Um, but I I really feel like there's a piece that I can add to this in terms of how do we look at our everyday diet and lifestyle and Mm. you know what do we do with our food choices you know you mentioned before sleep and hydration and all of these other things that's kind of the realm that I talk to people about with lipoedema but my other my my other passion is fatigue Um, probably again because it's something that I've experienced and close to home that I I had what I call the lost decade in my 30s. I I look back and I'm like, I really have no idea what was going on then because I was exhausted. And similar sort of thing. I went to the doctor and I said, I'm so tired. What can we do? And they were like, oh, you know, you've got all these children. It's no wonder you're tired. Just it'll pass or... At at that point, I remember one day saying, if this is as good as it gets, this is a real problem because if it's only downhill from here, I already feel like I'm at the bottom of the hill, you know? And so um, one of the things that we've really noticed over the last couple of years in terms of um, COVID, post-COVID is there's been a significant upswing in people with uh, either being diagnosed with long COVID or chronic fatigue syndrome or just generally don't feel like they've ever kind of bounced back to where they were before. And so um, that would probably be the other half of my clients, uh, people that are just, you know, exhausted and again, have been to the doctor and and not necessarily found any solutions because there are no real medical or viable medical solutions for either lipedema or things like chronic fatigue. There's no one pill that you can take that's going to fix the problem. And so this is where... You know, we start looking at diet and lifestyle, and and of, think about to, those sorts of interventions.
0: You've got to kind of map your own way through these things by mm. people like yourself, or I've just got to notice that my con- internet connection is unstable. So I've
1: just lost you.
0: Oh, am I back? <laughs> You're back. <laughs> We've had this wild storm today, and I'm mm. so what what you what you've reminded me of while you've been talking there with your great-grandmother, is I had a grandmother that was similar shape to your what you've described your mother to mm. be, but I didn't grow up with her because she was in England, but we were always told that she had thyroid issues. So is there a connection at all between thyroid and lipidema?
1: So interesting you ask. So some research has been done in the US that has looked at um comorbid conditions that come along with uh lipedema and it was it was really just asking a whole load of patients you know are people with this condition what else do you have so i wouldn't say it was necessarily like top shelf in terms of the the quality of the evidence it was more like a survey mm-hmm. um but certainly they were seeing a connection with uh thyroid conditions with irritable bowel syndrome um with other autoimmune type conditions. So it really just does tell us that there's an immune component to this, that there's a lot of inflammation. Me, myself, I have Hashimoto's. And so I do wonder about, well, it's it's actually so very common. And when people say, I don't have a thyroid condition, I'm like, maybe you just haven't been tested enough. (laughs) And I joke when I say that because I don't want everyone to have one, but they are certainly common. And there is some speculation that There could be some issues in terms of T3 not getting into the cells, causing some sort of issue uh, at a cellular level. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we are still in the infancy of understanding this and more research needs to be done. Mm -mm
0: -mm. All right. Well, I love that information and I'm particularly interested. I've lost you again. (laughs) Oh, am I back? Am I back? Not yet? Yes, I can see you, but I just can't
1: hear you every now and then. I don't quite know what's going on.
0: Well, I can hear you, so I'm hoping we're getting a decent recording of this. Um, so maybe I'll wind it up so we're not cut off altogether. Um, <laughs> I know that chronic fatigue was a big thing in the 80s as well, so that's been a long time, you know, pre-COVID, even though COVID's probably made it even more intricate or more interesting, but it was it was around back then. It's an interesting condition, this chronic fatigue, long long COVID. And I know that I lost a decade in the in the 90s because I was raising four children and I don't know where that decade went, but I'm back to normal now, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think the challenge is any of the, these conditions that are what we would call invisible conditions, yeah. don't necessarily get the research dollars, you know, cardiovascular, you know, heart disease and diabetes is getting a lot of research, but some of these more invisible conditions that we can't necessarily see or... People have given up asking for help and just, you know, suffering in silence at home uh, are the ones we're just not getting the research about. And that's where conversations like this are great because we can start to spread the word.
0: Mm-hmm. So people want to find you, I know you've got a fantastic website that I'm really jealous of. It's amazing. And they can book on your website, kerryreedy.com. Is there a booking spot yet? Get in touch. Yep.
1: Yep, up the top, you can you can book in to have a chat, but you can also organise a, you know, just a quick 15 minute phone chat where we can talk about what's going on for you. And sometimes I'm the right person, sometimes I'm not the right person. And that's okay, too. You know, it's about working out who, who kind of meshes with you in terms of philosophies and, and ways of doing things.
0: Good. All right. So thank you very much for your time. Um, I won't keep you any longer in case I lose you with this inclement weather today. And um, <laughs> we must chat some more.
1: Thanks, it's Karen. been wonderful having some time with you today, so I really appreciate it. Thank you.